The readings today are all linked by something that perhaps we don't think about all that often. And it's the infinite and almighty power of God. We start with the book of wisdom, which tells us that God's might is the source of his justice, but that mastery allows him to be lenient to all which is not how we normally think about power. Usually the wisdom of this world tells us that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? But the thing is that power in this world, even those with the most power, pale in comparison to God. No one on this world will ever wield infinite power as God does. And so... There's something missing anytime we exercise it. And it's that sureness. Because God, he, he has nothing to fear. Nothing will ever take away his power. To even talk of God fearing that is, it sounds kind of ridiculous to us, right? He, he has this sureness about his power. And so he doesn't have to bend or, or, or do anything to maintain it. He can play the long game, so to speak, and allow all of these things to happen because they don't threaten him. He is the master of might. And that allows him to govern with lenience because at any moment he can call that power up if he needs to. And because we are his children, we are to follow that example. We aren't to seek this earthly power for ourselves, but to find our power resting in God, which is kind of strange to think about, but perhaps an analogy helps. Children, they stay with their parents, they rest with their parents, they find their strength with their parents. Because their parents, they have this power they can exercise on the behalf of their children. A father protects his family, right? A mother protects her children, right? And children know this. They find safety with their parents. And that's how it must be with us and God. He exercises his power on our behalf. He protects us. He guides us. All of these things. And so we don't have to worry because we have God on our side, a God who is good and forgiving, who abounds in kindness. What is the power of God, though? It's based, I think, most on mercy. Because this line right here, it says, you show your might when the perfection of your power is disbelieved. The most common miracles we see in the Bible when people disbelieve, God reacts with mercy. You know, when the Israelites were wandering through the desert, they were hungry, they were complaining, and they doubted God's power. So what did he do? He fed them with manna and apparently more birds than you can shake a stick at because they got sick of it. They were like, God, you gave us so many birds, we're sick of eating them now, please stop. You know, it's... It's incredible, though, that he exercises his power through mercy. We look at the Gospels. Jesus is consistently exercising his power through mercy. 
they kind of get filled out a bit with the parables today of what that power of God looks like. This first one, the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. First off, notice the kingdom is not the field. The kingdom is the man who sows the good seed. The kingdom of God is the person of Jesus Christ, that person in whom we find our rest, that person who exercises that great and infinite power on our behalf. And look at what he does. He sows good seed. That's hopefully us, right? But then an enemy comes and puts that evil seed in there. Hopefully not us, right? We're all at church, so we're all trying not to be those people. Why doesn't he take those weeds out right away, though? Because he doesn't need to. He can give them time. Because this particular weed, as it grows, it looks a lot like wheat. It's very easy to pull up the wrong thing, to take the other good plants with it. And so he can play the long game. He can wait and see what comes out at the end. And that's how it is for us. You know, a good Christian rejoices any time someone converts their hearts to God, even if they wait until that very last moment of their life. It's a time to rejoice because they've found the way and the truth and the life. They've found that one who can give them fulfillment. They finally turn from this world. And even if it is at the last moment, God welcomes them into his kingdom because, again, he's not threatened by them. Their past, it doesn't matter to him. What matters to God is that they've finally accepted his love. And so, just like in this parable, they wait until the harvest. God waits until the end of our life to pass judgment on us, giving us every opportunity to turn back to him. That's God's power of mercy. The parable of the mustard seed shows us that there is no limit. He is always wanting more people to come to him. You know, this mustard seed, it grows into this great thing where many birds of the sky can come and dwell in its branches. Remember, in the gospel, Jesus tells us, God has prepared a place in heaven for each one of us, a dwelling place. There is no limit to how many people can go. He just wants us to be there with him. He has prepared it for us. And then the parable of the yeast. This one's kind of interesting. But what does yeast do to bread, right? If you don't have the yeast, it never comes out right. I mean, out of all the things I've cooked, bread is not something I'm very successful at because I just don't have the patience for it. Like me and baking, we don't get along so great. But what does yeast do? Just a little bit combined with water and flour and maybe some sugar, maybe some salt if you want to get real fancy. It makes it to grow and it gives it this structure. It makes it what it is. And so that's what the power of God does. Just the smallest amount can give meaning and definition and structure to our lives and to this world. It can make everything grow into something greater than it ever was before. And so these three parables, they tell us about God's power. 
that it's merciful, that it's expansive, and that it desires to grow within all of us. And then finally, the reading from St. Paul to the Romans tells us one more thing about God's power. If you look around this reading, the inexpressible groanings of the Spirit are the third inexpressible groanings that Paul talks about. He also talks about the groanings of creation, the groanings of humanity, and then the groanings of the Spirit. And it's interesting what's going on here. I don't know if you've ever had this experience in prayer, but sometimes I go to my holy hour and it's just been one of those days and I don't have the words. I just say, God, I'm here and I need your help. (laughs) And we have to sit with it for a while. But where is that coming from? Those groanings that come from creation that by definition are not able to be expressed crying out for God. They come from humanity. You know, we act on behalf of ourselves and on the behalf of all of creation. You know, sidebar here, that's what the baptismal priesthood is all about that we talk about. Each and every one of us, when we are baptized, are called to bring creation back to God. That is that work of the baptismal priesthood, which we all have. Okay, done with the sidebar there. So we intercede on behalf of creation, but even then, we can't pray as we ought. St. Paul just tells us that. We do not know how to pray as we ought. But then the Holy Spirit comes and assists us and intercedes by praying for us, by bringing our prayers and purifying them and making them good to, to, to place in front of God. And that's yet another demonstration of God's power, that he longs so greatly for our love that he will help us to pray, help us to bring our needs to him. So this week, I think what we can do is just meditate on the greatness of God's love for us, that he puts all of this power into helping us to come closer to him every day of our lives that great power of God, which I think we best express as mercy.